Hey guys, welcome to the LT Brings the Heat podcast. We're your hosts, Sean Laird and Adam Heisler, where we talk about baseball and sports performance. With topics ranging from coaching, business, and player development, our goal is to bring you a no BS approach to development in baseball and sports performance. Hope you guys enjoy. Let's rock and roll. Hey guys, we've got a special episode here today. We've got an MLB pitcher for the Milwaukee Brewers, Josh Liblum. Uh, this is a guy that I played with in the Indiana Bulls uh, in high school. Um, he got drafted in the third round in high school and, and again in the second round in the, uh, at, a, at a Purdue. He's kind of break, he's got to break down his story a little bit. He's going to talk about the differences, you know, but he played in the KBO last year, Korean Baseball Organization, and uh, won the Cy Young his last two years there. Uh, he's kind of got to break down the differences between the MLB and, and, the, and that KBO, and he's going to talk about his training and, you know, physical and part of the mental game um, and a lot of good stuff here. Adam, what else did you uh, kind of get from this here in the beginning? Man, I think our viewers and our listeners are going to love this one right here, especially from a pitching standpoint. If you have an athlete that's a pitcher, or even if you are a pitcher yourself, just to see the maturity process of himself being kind of a phenom in high school and where he's at now, what he had to go through to get there, the trials and tribulations. I mean, this is a lot of great info. And I mean, I think we talked for like an hour and we could have kept on going. There's just so much good information. What was some stuff that stood out to you? Yeah, and, and that's like, like Adam said, like, you know, you guys are going to hear an hour-long conversation from a guy that's been through more, more adversity than the average person. And, you know, all of us have been through an adversity in life, but he's going to break this down. And um, I love hearing the adversity stories. Um, I love how he talks about, and one thing, you know, the listeners that are here, they're in high school. Um, he's going to talk about staying healthy as his number one focus um, at his level. And obviously, like, when you're in high school and college, development is your number one focus. Like, you're trying to get to that high level. You're trying to get bigger, faster, stronger. You're trying to perform at the highest level possible. Once you make it, it quote unquote, make it, you know, your goal is to stay healthy. That's your number one goal. Yes, development and, and, and maintaining your strength, maintaining your power is important. But he's going to talk about, you know, once we hit to a certain level, you know, it starts making that transition where strength and power is most important and, 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 and staying healthy is still important. But, you know, staying healthy gets to that higher end of the spectrum. And it's something that is way overlooked. A lot of high schools just think bigger, faster, stronger. Colleges think bigger, faster, stronger. But there's definitely certain guys that need to focus on staying healthy and the mobility aspect first. That's one thing I think needs a big takeaway that you guys need to pay attention to here. Yeah, and then also from a standpoint, when he kind of broke down the three things he looks for, the advice he would give the pitchers. And I love how he started off. He'll start off, number one, mentioning just how important competing is. And I'll let you listen to the other two that go into it. But just to give you a preview, he really is a big believer in you have to focus each and every single pitch. And it's not, I'm going to come in here and throw 100 miles an hour by you every single time because you're going to end up moving bad. You're not going to be in control of your body. So it's very interesting just to kind of hear some ins and outs that he's going to allow our listeners to hear. Yep. Yeah. He's going he's gonna to give you guys some breakdowns. Um, he's going to talk about, you know, some advice that he has for the high school guys, for the parents as well. Um, but this is a guy that's been at every level, been successful at every level, got knocked down from the highest level and got right back up and got back there. So um, this is something everybody needs to pay attention to and needs to listen to right here. Hopefully you guys enjoy this, which I know you will. Um, if you guys do enjoy this, remember, give us a five-star review on that podcast app. Please like and share this podcast as much as you guys can. It helps get the word out and allows us, Adam and I, uh, to be able to continue to do this for you guys and get that information out there that uh, we want to make sure that we provide for you guys. So hope you guys enjoy. All right. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of LT Brings the Heat podcast. Um, we've got a, a special guest here today. Uh, one of my buddies from high school uh, played in the Indiana Bulls with me. Um, uh, Josh Libloom. He's a pitcher for the Milwaukee Brewers. Uh, how you doing today, Josh? Good, man. Good to see you again. It's been a long time. 
Yeah, you too, brother. Long time since we had a little comment. Absolutely. Absolutely. Do my best though, right? Yeah. Yeah, man. So uh we're gonna kinda go into this a little bit. I wanna keep this as relaxed as possible because I know uh you know Josh's story is pretty cool. Uh his training you know, Josh was a high-level prospect coming out of high school, um, and, and a lot of the guys in Indian Bulls know him, obviously, too. But, um, you know, he just signed with the Milwaukee Brewers, and he's kind of going through all this quarantine. And uh, I guess I'll kind of start with Josh. Like, how, how are you getting your training done right now with all the quarantine and all the, the limitations that you have right now? Yeah, I'm, I'm actually lucky. Uh, my wife let me put a home gym in our garage two years ago. Uh, so I just walk out to my garage, and um, I throw in our backyard. But, you know, a lot of guys are having troubles with that right now just because it's not a normal off-season scenario where you can go to the gym, you can go to university. All those places are closed, um, so guys are having to adapt. They're having to figure stuff out. Yeah, definitely. That's got, I mean, that's got to be hard, too. Like, um, I mean, most guys have a place to go to, and now you got, you kind of got to create your own training atmosphere. Um, and I know online, like, it's been crazy with the amount of people that are having to buy home gyms and stuff now. Like, places are being sold out left and right. Um, yeah. but I know you were drafted out of high school and you played at Lafayette Harrison. We played to get each other in high school a lot and then played with each other on the bulls. Uh, I kind of want you to, let's kind of summarize your story a little bit. And I know it's uh it's a pretty crazy story. I know you've had a lot of adversity and I know you've, uh, conquered a lot of adversity too. Uh, just kind of break down, you know, from high school to where you are now, what got you here? Yeah. So I, uh, was uh, drafted out of high school, went to Harrison high school in West Lafayette, um, drafted in the third round by the Houston Astros. Decided not to sign. Um, went to University of Tennessee my freshman year. Played there my freshman year. Then I transferred to Purdue for my sophomore, junior year. Um, always a starter. Got moved into the bullpen. Those last two years at Purdue. I uh, was drafted in the second round by the Dodgers. Signed after my junior year. Um, that was 2008. Uh, spent 2008 to 2011 in the minor leagues. Um, Kind of got shot up through the system, um, had some bumps, made it AAA my first full year, uh, and then got knocked around my second full year, got sent back to AA, and then in 2011, I got called up from AA to the big leagues, uh, made my debut on June 1st, 2011, um, was with the Dodgers in 11 and 12, and then I got traded in 12 at the deadline, I got traded after the 2012 season from uh, from Philly to Texas was with Texas that year. After that season, I got traded to Oakland. So 2014, I got to think of these timelines. They're all crazy. <laughs> um, played the 2014 season. I was with an, uh, the A's organization. That offseason, um, I was designated, claimed by Pittsburgh, and then had an opportunity uh, to go to Korea. So my wife and I decided to do that. So I spent 2015, 2016 um, in Korea. Let me think if I get this right. Yeah. 15-16 in Korea. Um, our daughter was diagnosed with a congenital heart defect. So in 2017, I came back to the U.S., signed with Pittsburgh. Was with them for half a season. Uh Got called back up, was in the big league for about a month and a half, two months. Was designated, had an opportunity to go back to Korea. So I went back, finish out 2017, um, 2018, 2019, I was in Korea. 
And then this year, um, I signed back in the offseason with Milwaukee. So it's been a it's been a crazy ride that I get jumbled up sometimes too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that's that that's that's pretty cool. Um, the big the big thing that I, I noticed last year following you a lot is you had a phenomenal year last year, and uh, I would you know from looking at the outside a career year, and you correct me if I'm wrong, but you kind of you won the Cy Young for the KBO last year. Is that correct? Yeah, I, yeah, I won. So uh, the last two years, I won the Cy Young um, in Korea. Uh, and then also last year, two years ago, I finished second in MVP voting. And then this year I won the MVP, or I guess it had been last season. So the last two years have been, uh, have been pretty amazing, you know, personally. And then, um, you know, as a team, uh, we got beat in 2018 in the Korean series. Uh, and then 2019, we won it. So it's been a fun two years of baseball. That's awesome, man. That's, that's pretty cool stuff right there, especially, uh, you know, seeing your success from the outside. Um, I guess the big thing that I want to know, and I'm sure a lot of guys want to know, and Adam, you can kind of jump in here after I ask this and everything you want to know. And, um, what was, what's the biggest difference from the MLB, uh, versus the KBO? Like that's, I've never, I know I've only known a couple of guys that have been over there, uh, kind of break that down for us a little bit. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I think the primary thing is depth. Um, you know, you've got your, you've got your players, you know, one through four, one through five in the lineup that, you know, could play in the big leagues could play in triple a uh, very easily. But, you know, once you start getting into guys coming off the bench, I think that's the biggest difference is you just don't have, obviously in a country that's, you know, I think there's 50 million people, um, the size of Florida, you know, land wise, like you just you don't have the guys to choose from. Um, so depth is the biggest thing, uh, style of play. I'd say it's a, it's a little more um, American style where guys are, guys are looking to do, damage um they're looking to, to drive the ball into gaps whereas in japan it's a lot more small ball um, and that's kind of a transition i saw over my four or five years there is that early on there was a lot of bunting a lot of stealing but um guys really kind of sold out to to driving the ball doing damage um my last few years there man that's awesome stuff just to kind of hear the differences and baseball in America versus baseball over there. How tough was it with the language barrier? Was that kind of an issue there? Did they give you a translator to kind of help you associate back and forth with the pitching coach? Yeah, they, we, uh, each team usually had one or two translators, one for the position guy, one for the pitchers. Um, so the, the language barrier, honestly, it was, it was interesting at the field. It wasn't that bad, uh, because like guys would be talking about stuff. And even though you didn't know what they were saying, like in Korean, you could just kind of tell what they were talking about. Like when it came to the game, there was enough English being thrown around where you could figure it out. Um, but off the field is where it was hard. Uh, you know, going to the grocery store, just doing like normal everyday stuff, like going to Starbucks, lots of, lots of hand signs and you know, <laughs> oh, no, <laughs> um, but at, at the field, it was easy. Uh, just, I mean, baseball is kind of like a universal language. Absolutely. Um, it's that, that was fun. That's pretty cool. What was the biggest culture change like uh, when it comes to the food and stuff? And I know as you've gotten older, and I, I talked to you a few years ago when you came to with the Bulls, you talk about paying attention to nutrition and paying attention to what you eat now. What's the biggest you know culture change in that aspect? I, mean, I, I love the food. I miss it. <laughs> I really do. They're just going to Korean barbecue, uh, you'll, you'll never taste anything like Korean barbecue in Korea. It's unbelievable. Oh, um, you know, biggest, 
biggest culture shock, I think it's just the way that, that they go about things. Um, you know, in America, it's very individualistic. Uh, decisions that we make are based on, you know, like basically myself. Um, whereas every decision that was made like at the field was about the team. Um, you know, what can we do as a team, staying together as a team, you would, you would eat as a team. Um, you'd get on the bus as a team. You like, there's just no, like, I guess you call it like rogue individuals. Um, and it's just, so that was, that was a little different getting used to, but I mean, it was good. Uh, I don't, I don't think it's better or worse. It's just different. Yeah, I'm sure that environment definitely helps you guys probably, you know, gel as a team a lot better too, kind of putting you in those situations to eat together. That's kind of, I guess that's some more similar to like a college environment. Is that about right? Yeah. It, yeah. Honestly, it was, it was a lot like playing in college. Uh, the stadiums, you don't really have locker, like you have a locker room to put your stuff in, but like you, sh you get dressed at the hotel, you shower at the hotel, um, you eat, you know, lunch and dinner at the hotel. So it was a lot like the, the course of the day was a lot like college ball. Um, so you're around your teammates a lot more. You're hanging out with them a lot more. Um, you aren't going to the field separately. So, yeah, yeah, I would, I would agree with that. It's, it's a lot like college ball. Awesome. Man, it's awesome that you mentioned that because you mentioned one thing that stood out to me was how much fun you oh, had over God. there. And I think when baseball is fun, I tell kids all the time, once you start getting paid and it turns into a job, it's, the fun's kind of taken away. So I think that's a cool experience that you got to go over there and have fun and kind of find the joy and passion and now be able to bring it back over with the Brewers. And you talk about you've always been successful at each level that you played at, but what was it that kind of took your game to the Cy Young status in the second and MVP voting over there? Yeah, I think, um, you know, people, you know, people talk about, you know, you go learn a pitch and all of a sudden you're a different, you're a different player. Like I, you know, I kind of fight that a little bit because I don't think that's what it was. Um, for me, it, it was knowing myself. Um, you know, I think one of the one of the biggest detriments that we do to young kids, um, college kids, you know, just any players is comparison. Uh, yeah. You know, the you get drafted, and the first thing you do is you get compared to somebody. Right. Yeah. Um, and I I've, I spent so much of my career trying to be somebody that I wasn't. Um, so I think you know the biggest di difference was that I knew who I was as a pitcher. Um, I know the three things that I do really, really well, and that was my focus every outing. I go command my fastball, um, I go throw five pitches for strikes, and I compete. Um, I give my team a chance to win. And once I realized that, I was able to kind of take my game to another level because I wasn't worried about trying to be something that I wasn't. Um, and it just simplified the game for me. It really did. <clears throat> that's that's phenomenal advice right there and that's something me and adam talk about that all the time is like getting players to understand their role and who they are and what their strengths are because so many guys want to be like we'll use hitters for example they want to be that home run hitter they want to be that you know mark mcguire or whatever and they yeah. don't understand like hey man like know who yourself know, know know who you are know what you're trying to do know what your strengths are um work on those weaknesses obviously um but some guys trying to be things that they're not and it kind of gets them in trouble in the long run um, and I mean, you were a power pitcher, um, you know, at one point in time in your career, um, what would you kind of describe yourself now? Yeah, I mean, my velo, I mean, I'm like 90, 93, uh, but I, you know, I have, my command has gotten a lot better. Um, and I just, you know, like exactly what you're saying, I, I stink at hitting. Um, so I'm not going to compare <laughs> to hitters. It's like, 
from a pitching standpoint, like, I mean, I'd love to have Garrett Cole's fastball and DeGrom's slider. You know, I'd yep. love to have those pitches or, Hell yeah. or Kershaw's curveball. Um, and I can chase all of those pitches, but the reality is that I'm not going to be a creative player on, you know, the show. Yep. Um, so it's like exactly like you just said is, all right, what is it that I do well as a player? Um, and if I can do like two or three things really, really well, I have a good chance of being successful. Um, so that's, I mean, that's, I think, you know, 90% of the battle with young kids is realizing like, Hey, you're good at this. Let's get really, really good at like two or three things instead of just being like mediocre at, at 10 of them. Hell yeah, definitely. That's great stuff. And you mentioned you're a five pitch pitcher. Are there days in the bullpen, like before the game that, you know, maybe one of the pitches isn't working the best. So you're going to go ahead and rule that one out. And can you kind of talk about how important it is to maybe set up hitters and have a game plan as opposed to just trying to strike everybody out? Yeah, definitely. Um, but, you know, the one thing that the five having multiple pitches does for me is it, it gives me options um, because there isn't, I don't feel the same any given day when I go out. Uh, I might not have a pitch early that I might find late. I might have a pitch early that I lose throughout the course of the game. Um, so exactly like you said, is it just gives me options. Um, and I don't have to rely, you know, if I've got two pitches and one of them not working, you know, good luck. Let's flip a coin. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but just, I mean, it gives me options. Uh, you know, you've got, I've got my staples. I've, my, my staples are probably my fastball, my cutter. I know that, you know, every single time out, I'm going to have those two pitches. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you kind of build from there. But, uh, you know, I think having an overall game plan is great. Uh, it's obviously you need to know the hitters. But for me, the game plan kind of changes throughout the course of the game. I feel the flow of the game. Um, I've got, you know, a foundation of what hitters are trying to do. But that changes um, throughout the course of the game. And, uh, you know, in Korea, there's nine teams. So I face the guys a lot. And just you, there's kind of like this innate sense of when a guy is trying to change his approach on you. Um, and then, you know, going back to having the multiple pitches that I can show guys different looks throughout the course of the game. Um, so yeah, the, the game plan is important. Um, you need to know hitters, uh, be knowledgeable on that, but you also have to have a feel for, uh, have a feel for the game, um, how the game's going, the situations, you know, situations dictate the way that I pitch guys a lot of the times. Definitely. And that's definitely something that, you know, as, as we're young, like you don't really think about that stuff. And you know, most guys are just trying to power through things and just rely on what got them there in the first place. And, and, and as you get older, you know, and you've played at the highest of levels and been successful at the highest of levels and, 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 and young guys, they got to understand like, Hey, you know, you've got to work on those things, those weaknesses to give you. So like you said, more options like pitchers, you know, a lot of guys will just try to stick there with a the fastball and you get to a certain enough level. Those guys are going to hammer that fastball. Um, and uh, let's you, so you talked about the approach and the mental side a lot. Um, I'd love to get into like the physical and the, and the training stuff. Um, what kind of yeah. changes have you made from the training aspect in the off season? Some basically like from your early in your career to now that kind of help you and, and maybe you kind of figured out over the years. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, the primary thing is, is health. Uh, you know, I had a, I had a bullpen coach tell me one time is that they don't pay to perform. They pay to be healthy. Uh-huh. Uh, so, um, you know, I, I still, I mean, I work out, you know, six, six times a week. 
Um, but those workouts look a lot different than they used to. I'm not going in and trashing my body um, three times a week like I used to. Uh, a lot of a lot of different um, mobility stuff, a lot of different uh, movement capacity stuff. Um, I've started doing a lot of PRI training. I don't know if you guys have looked at into that at all. Uh, just just restoring movement capability. Um, you know, obviously there's a strength foundation that's there um, that it's important for everybody. But at some point, you know, I think strong is strong enough. Um, yep. Just, I mean, that's just my, my opinion, uh, obviously. But, yeah, just longevity. Um, I'm not getting any younger, and I want to prolong my career. So it's kind of like risk-reward. Uh, do I want to go throw 500 pounds on my back and squat, uh, or would I rather supplement and change a lift out where I can get the same stimulus um, with not the the possibility of, of getting injured. Yeah, yeah that's, that makes it yes. I mean, best ability is always availability. It's very yeah. along the same lines right there. Now, you've been playing since, I mean, 2012, so almost eight years now. Can you talk about with the technology now in the game, how, how has that kind of affected you? And when did you first kind of get introduced to it from like a pitch and rap soda standpoint and spin rates and all this it's, stuff? Going uh, it's awesome, man. I love it. I, you know, if, if guys had some of this stuff and access to it and understood it, uh, I just can't imagine how much better guys would be. Yep. Um, I, I'm, I, I love it. Uh, I think it's great. Uh, really, honestly, I, did, I knew nothing about it. Um, and last year, so kind of in the offseason going into last year, um, I started looking into Rapsodo, started throwing on a Rapsodo, started getting some of the TrackMan data. Um, and looking into that, that, kind of seeing what my uh, what my pitches were doing. So in uh, spring during spring training last year, I'm throwing during a game and I get a TrackMan printout, and my spin rate on my fastball is like you know 2,500 plus, um, which would be you know top you know five ten percent in Major League Baseball. So I used to be four seam two seam, and I just ditched my two seam. Yeah, and just started throwing all four seams, but um, you know, just from a development standpoint, knowing what you're good at, I mean, it's just, it's just objective data that you can look at that tells you what you're good at, um, tells you areas that you might be elite or you might be really good at areas that you might need to change. Um, you know, whether it be, you think you throw a, a curveball and a slider, but they, you know, mesh together. So you need to go after one or the mm-hmm. other. Um, this off season with the Brewers, I was able to do some really cool stuff with some pitch design. Um, so I added a pitch this off season. Uh, it's just, I mean, it's just really neat data to use that gives you, you know, instantaneous feedback. Um, now I will say, I think one downside of it is that kids lose the ability to feel, um, you know, I think about, you know, with you guys, I'm sure we came up in an era when like I had to feel what a ball was doing when it was coming off my fingers. You know, for you guys being hitters, like, I had to feel what a good swing was. I had to feel, like, what solid contact was. Um, whereas now, like, you throw a pitch and you turn around and you look at a screen and it's like, okay, what, that's not what I wanted. Well, did you even feel what was going on? Mm-hmm. Um, you, you, I don't know a lot of the hitting stuff, but you know, I think they have the blast hitting system now or whatever it is. It's like... Yep. So a guy takes a swing off a tee and it doesn't feel good off the bat. 
He's like, well, the numbers told me it wasn't good, so it wasn't yeah. good. Well, why wasn't it good? Mm-hmm. So I think you know, teaching kids both is, is important. Definitely. And that's, that, there's a disconnect nowadays, like you said, like the feel, like so many people are paying attention to data and technology, which we agree is 100% important, but understanding your body and understanding the feel like, okay, this is yeah. what it feels like when I have this release point, or this is what it feels like you know, when, I, when I'm getting this swing path down, or if I'm too big. And, and understanding the differences, because like you, like you said earlier, like some days you're not going to have things, you're yeah. going to feel like crap. So having that feel and understanding, you know, that's, that's a big part of the game and understanding like yeah. what you need to do and the adjustments that you need to make. Um, and, and I kind of want to yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, those, like you don't have, you can't look at a screen in game. Yep. Mm-hmm. You can do it in between innings, but I mean, you have to be able to feel, you yep. have to be able to know your body and, you know, know your know what's going on, um, know when you catch a ball clean off your fingers or when you catch a catch a ball clean off the barrel. I mean, you have to be able to feel those things. Yeah, and I, I went to a, a clinic a couple of years ago, and I was having a conversation with Eric Cressy, which obviously you know Cressy and a lot of guys mm-hmm. in the baseball world do, and we're talking about, like, how to use the technology properly. Like, okay, so you're using Rapsodo. You know, what are you doing? Like, are we using it right? Like, are you doing something between pitches? Like, maybe, you know, he talks about guys being lat dominant a lot of times and making sure that we can get, you know, good – scapular humeral rhythm mm-hmm. you know what are you doing between pitches like oh man that didn't feel good that release point was off or i'm you know i'm not getting a spin i want like what are you doing to make adjustments to that like what are you doing to correlate your training to help you with that and i think that's a lot of things that are overlooked is like okay let's just keep throwing over and over and over well what are you really doing you know you got to make the adjustments and, and train to to fix those flaws to help you with what you're trying to yeah. achieve yeah and the, you know from your standpoint from a strength conditioning standpoint you know, the stronger that you are, um, the better endurance that you have. Like it just that allows you the the capability to repeat over yep. and over. Um, you know, I, this is going to sound really bad, but you know, lifting weights doesn't make you a better pitcher. Or, and I think that's like when I was younger, it was like, oh man, I'm going to come into the weight room and I'm just going to magically be a better pitcher. Like, <laughs> no, that's not really about like you. In order to be a better pitcher you've got to pitch you yep. to be a better hitter you've got to work on hitting but what training does do is it does allow you it opens up possibilities yep um it opens up it allows your body to do different things that it wouldn't be able to do if you were sitting on the couch and watching cartoons all day mm-hmm. um so there is a sense where it, it can make you it makes you a better athlete yeah which then translates on the field but baseball is such a fine you know, fine motor skill sport that like you have to play baseball to get to be better at baseball. Yeah, you hit the nail on the head right there. It annoys me so bad as a strength coach when I hear people say, we've got this sports-specific strength and conditioning program. Dude, sports-specific is playing the game. Like that's sports-specific. Yeah. Now, obviously, we have sports-specific prehab or exercise like we got to take care of pitchers, you know, thoracic mm-hmm. mobility. You know, we got to make sure the rotator cuff's strong, stability in the shoulder and scap. Like, there's certain things that we need to take care of, but, you know, you get in the weight room to become a better athlete, bigger, faster, stronger, right, whatever your goals are. Um, and then if you want to correlate that to the game, you have to do both. Like, you can't just not throw. You have to work on those things. It's just like hitting. Like, yes, the weight room is going to maybe hit, have you hit the ball 5, 10 miles an hour harder or hit the ball 20, 30 feet further. But you got to be able to get the barrel to the ball in a 95 mile an hour fastball yeah. or 90 mile fastball first. Um, yeah, you can throw any power lifter in there and he can hit the ball 100 mile an hour. It doesn't mean he can hit. Yeah. Yeah. And there's, I mean, you know, and 
everything should kind of seamlessly work together. You know, your, your, your movement capability, movement capacity stuff that you're doing at the beginning of the workout should feed into the strength and conditioning. Um, and the strength conditioning should feed into the throwing and the hitting. So like there's, these things aren't disconnected. Um, but you can like what I, what I do now is like in the weight room, like there are certain movement, um, patterns that I reinforce in the weight room that then tr now translate onto the field. Yep. Um, so I think that's, that's important to realize is that like we can reinforce specific movement patterns. Um, like you said, like sports specific training is like going out and picking up a baseball and throwing. Yep. Um, but we can reinforce patterns in the weight room through different exercises and things like that. Yep. And I call those like exactly what you're saying. Like for the guys that are listening the, the, and the, the listeners here is that's, that's general specific. We're trying to match the plane on the field in the, with the plane yeah. movement in the weight room. We're trying to max like med ball throws. Like, and I know Adam uses these a lot, like rotational med ball throws, trying to utilize the bottom half, you know, the kinetic force from the ground up and applying that force in the throws, correlating that to baseball, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. And Josh, you haven't uh, really touched on, so you mentioned strength and conditioning stuff. What is it, uh, let's say it's an off-season program from a throwing standpoint. Are you a big believer in the long toss? Is it more of the plyo balls, weighted balls? What kind of has your, I guess, your routine kind of changed over the years as you continue yeah. to play? Yeah, it has. It's changed a bunch. Um, a couple of years ago, I started doing a lot of the plyo ball stuff. Not, I mean, a lot. Um, just more of a specific, like I had somebody write, write up a program for me. Um, kind of re like we were saying, reinforce movement patterns, kind of like the overload, underload stuff. Um, I do like long toss. Uh, you know, I think a lot of it's a lot of it's individual. Um, some guys I've played with guys I don't know. I mean, my, when I played with Garrett Cole, uh, he told me he said anything past sixty feet, six inches is a long toss. Um, <laughs> and I never really saw him go yeah. past ninety feet. And here's one of the best pitchers in baseball. Yeah. Um, I you know I like it. I, I love to throw. Uh, I love to go out and throw. Um, you know, I'll just take a bucket and like go in my backyard and I'll just throw balls from one corner to the other and walk back. Yeah. Uh, but some guys, you know, don't like to do that. Um, but my, I mean, I have changed a lot. Uh, I, I like the versatility of the plyo balls where I don't, you know, you don't need a partner. All you need is a wall and 15 feet. So like you don't have to miss a day of throwing. Mm -hmm. um, you know, if I don't feel like, taking my balls outside or if it's raining outside one day, I can still get my throwing in, um, in a confined space. So I, I love the versatility of the plyo balls. Um, but at the same time, you know, I think teaching proper mechanics with those, um, and, yep. and having a purpose and why you're using mm -hmm. them is, is so important because, you know, guys just get online and they just start doing them to do them. And it's like, you know, what are we trying to do here? Yeah. Yeah. And that's understanding the science behind it and not just, not just trying to follow what's, you know, in vogue right now or popular right now and understanding mm -hmm. that you got to understand the process. Cause there's definitely, we hear high schools all the time, go, go running guys through three sets of 10 to 15, three pound, two pound and one pound balls. And we're just like, Oh my God, it's, yeah. it, 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 it freaks us out. A lot of those aspects of things, but okay. you know, you gotta, you got, like you said, you gotta stay healthy. And I kind of want to jump into what you were talking about earlier. So the listeners understand this, like you were talking about like strength and conditioning and getting stronger, you know, and once you get to a point, strong is strong enough. And we talk about that a lot with my guys, like, Hey, once we get strong, like if I got a pitcher that might be squatting 500 pounds, he's applying a lot of force to the ground, deadlifting 500 pounds, 
the guy's pretty damn strong, stronger than most people. You know, at that point in time, you know, we're trying to maintain strength. We're trying to get as fast twitch as possible and train for a lot of power um, and speed, you know, that dynamic work. Um, but mainly, most importantly, if he's a high-level guy, like, we're trying to keep him healthy. Um, and with that healthy, like, kind of dive into um, what do you do as part of your, like, dive into more about that PRI. You know, I haven't actually heard that before. Yeah. I kind of want you to dive into what you do to keep yourself healthy. <clears throat> yeah, man, I just... I, I don't understand all the intricacies of it, um, but there's a place in Indy that I go, uh, Bill Hartman, I fast. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've talked to him now for five, six years, um, but he's he's kind of the guy that I would call him kind of like my PT. Uh, mm-hmm. Just It's basically what it is. It's um, through breathing exercises, you're able to restore movement capability and movement capacity. Um, so, I mean, the... The easiest, I guess, most like in layman's terms, um, let's just say that you had 300 movement patterns available to you Um, through different stresses that we put on our bodies. uh, We lose movement capacity and movement capability over the course of time. So let's say we go from 300 total movements to 180. Well, if I'm trying to move in a way that my body is not allowing me to move, that's when injury occurs. So what the PR, PRI, what the breathing patterns do, um, they help restore those movement capabilities so I have, have all movement options available to me. You know, my guess yep. would be like the easiest way to, to describe it. Um, that's just, you know, and, and you're talking about, you know, with a, with a high school kid, um, being strong is important. Um, whereas like where I'm at now, like, is it more important for me to squat 500 pounds or is it more important for me to be able to maintain a certain level of strength, but be able to move efficiently, um, and productively throughout the course of, you know, 200 and some innings. Yeah, absolutely. It sounds a lot like RPR, like reflexive uh, performance reset system that a lot of it's popular in the street conditioning community. It's, it's really, really new. There's a lot of guys in Columbus, Ohio, in the street conditioning world, so I have to check that out. That sounds really cool. That's, you know, keeping you healthy. And that's, again, and we've talked about this a million times, like, and I can be a guy that talks about it. Adam can be a guy that talks about it. If you're healthy, you know, you're above everybody. You're you're ahead of everybody else already. Like, because being healthy allows you to, like we talk about, baseball is such a game of repetition. You're only going to get better with that repetition and with that feel, understanding, you know, that process. And it's so, so, so important in that aspect of things. Um, especially, I mean, we don't know how hard this game is to play. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it's even harder when you don't feel good. And usually you just don't feel good. You know, if I make 30 starts in the course of a year, I might, like, feel really, really good in five of them. Yeah. Um, so it's like – and then, then as a position player, like, you go out every single day and you play, like, I, at, least, at least I get five days off. Like, yeah. That I can build in some recovery. Like, um, but as a position player, it's like you're just – you know, grinding every single day, you're putting your body through the ringer and um, you can't go out and squat 500 pounds or, you know, lift heavy every single day. Yeah. So there is, you know, there's a trade-off with that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You mentioned from the recovery standpoint, Josh, when you pitch, is there a certain area you get sore more than others like the day after? Man, you know what? I, knock on wood, I've never really been like a get sore guy. Uh, if, if I do, it's, it's like lat, um, 
yeah, like flat, low back. I'm old now, so my my low back hurts. <laughs> um, but I, feel you, I mean, that's really the only place. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> seriously, just hobbling out of bed in the morning, like not knowing how I'm gonna be able to pick up my kids. Uh, no, um, but yeah, like, and usually it's early on um, that I'll get sore. But once I once I get built up, once I have you know some sort of like endurance base, like I, I really don't get very sore. That's awesome. That's uh, that, that that's that's crazy because. You know, and you, you always kind of seem like you were that guy that could come in and throw whenever when we were growing up. Um, and I know you used to be a big distance running guy. And this is something I talk about with my guys all the time and training the right way, doing the right type of metabolic conditioning, you know, relative to our sport, um, which is an anaerobic, you know, output sport. What, what is it? And again, saying this, like everybody does things differently. Some guys love that. So there's not, there's not more than one way to skin a cat. What is, how is your running? Is it changed at all? Is it kind of the same? Like, what do you do now? I do not remember the last time I've gone out and run over a mile straight. <laughs> not even a mile, maybe a half mile. Uh, so uh, that's definitely changed a lot. Like if I'm – my most extensive like time cardio um, for recovery would be like I'll get on a treadmill um, and I'll put it on an incline. I'll get my heart rate up to 130. One between 130, 150, and I'll just go for 30, 40 minutes. Um, but that's the ex- like that's my longest cardio. Yeah. Um, especially from a recovery standpoint, uh, you think you know going out and running, and like you said, like some guys like to go out. It makes them feel good. Um, yeah. Which is, I mean, I'm if you, if you like it, you like it. That's fine. Uh, yeah. But from a recovery standpoint, for me, like I look at everything as like everything is stress on my body. Yep. Nutrition, sleep, working out, throwing, um, and throughout the course of the week, like there's just like plus and minuses that are getting tallied up. So you know, I go out and I throw 110 pitches in a game. I throw seven innings. I come in the next morning, and you go through your workout. And let's say I go out and I run um, 30 minutes outside. Yeah. Well. From a stress standpoint, I'm pounding on my knees and my joints. So, like, I'm going further down, whereas, like, I can probably get the same, a similar, uh, if I just hop on a treadmill and sustain a heart rate and I don't have the pounding, I don't have the stress. So, I'm just trying to get back to, like, I guess you'd call it, like, baseline. Um, Most important day is my start day. So, everything that I'm doing through the course of a week is trying to, like, if this is baseline, you know, everything that I'm doing is trying to get me back up to baseline for my next start. Yep. And that's so, kind of the way that I look at, you know, planning out my week. Nice. Yeah, it's, that's super cool how it's just changed from where you were a big running, distance running guy in high school to now where you're staying away from it because your knees and your joints. And yeah. talking about pitching standpoint, there's a guy in Big League Camp that's throwing pins right now here for the Twins. And He's a high fastball pitcher, and with it follows it up with the big 12-6 curveball. Mm-hmm. And it was all from the rap soda where I think when we were growing up, it was pitchers were never taught to throw up in the zone. It's all they stay down, and that's actually what made him get to the big league. So yeah. it's just cool how the game has continued to change, and I'm just looking forward to keep seeing more and more things. And I love having guys on like you that can talk about going through different processes and what works, what doesn't work, what they've changed, what they've learned. And it's been such a cool experience. One question I like to ask pitchers is, Who's some your toughest hitters that you had to face coming up? 
man. So, like at every level? Uh, yeah, you can just limit it down to, I guess, some of the guys that maybe some of the audience people will know. I mean, I always hated facing Sean in high school. <laughs> no, I'm not just saying because I'm on here, but he really was. He was one of the best hitters that I faced in high school. Yeah. Um, college, uh, Matt LaPorta was probably the best college hitter that I faced. He was unbelievable at University of Florida. I mean, that guy raked. Yeah. Um, pro, pro ball, uh, and this, this is going to sound funny, but Corey Hart. Uh, oh, I don't yeah. know if you guys remember Corey Hart. Like, Tall guy. Corey Hart's like six, yeah. six, seven. Like his arms are like tentacles. Like I just, <laughs> I never felt like I could throw the ball anywhere near the zone that you couldn't get to it. And I'm sure if you look up the stats, uh, he owns me. <laughs> um, some, and then obviously there's some guys in Korea uh, that guys wouldn't know. Um, yeah, Corey Hart, good. Carlos Gonzalez. Um, when he was with the Rockies, was was I was not a good matchup for me. Um, they're just, I mean, everybody's good. Yeah, everybody's good. Yeah, you just you just don't get a break. Well, that's what's done. I was a reliever uh, in the National League, and then when I got moved over to the American League, I was a starter. So it's like. Now I got a DH I got to deal with. <laughs> it's unbelievable. <laughs> it's like, man, they just keep throwing all this at me. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. So um, one thing I want to talk about, and I always ask this for, uh, for every guest, and I always will ask this for every guest, because I'm a firm believer that, you know, that adversity uh, makes the man in the life. Yeah. Um, and I know you faced a lot of adversity. Um, what, what is something specific that has happened in your life that was a lot of real big trial and tribulation that kind of – not only helped you grow as a man, helped you grow as a ball player, um, but kind of helped you feel like that not only you, you can conquer anything that in the future that comes your way, but kind of helped you mentally. Uh, what, what, yeah. what, what really kind of experience uh, happened? Yeah, I think, I mean, I would definitely have to say our daughter's heart condition. When I was three, uh, she's had two open heart surgeries. Um, so, so like just going through that whole process, having to deal with that mentally, um, just how much it affects you on the field. Um, and you know, I think one thing that it did too, is it helped me let go of the game. Um, you know, we hold on to this game so tightly, uh, and it becomes like everything for us. And I, I play baseball, uh, but there was a conversation that I remember having with my wife, Ariel in the hospital. Um, we're sitting there Monroe's probably, I don't know, two days out of surgery. She's on a ventilator. Um, and we're just sitting there and I look at her and I say, you know, I've, if somebody were to come to me right now and say that you can't play baseball anymore, I think I would be okay. Yeah. Um, and getting to that point and realizing like, I love this game. I love to play this game, but it is by far not the most important thing in my life. Um, and then that, I mean, that was really freeing. Yeah. Like you go out and you have a bad game. Um, it doesn't like, tear you apart mm-hmm. uh, and then having I me mean, be able to play this game it's so cool to like my my son's five like this morning saying like i was telling you guys going up and playing with him at the field um you just have a different perspective where it's like he's he's at the point now where if i have a bad game he'll ask me why i had a bad game so that kind of stinks but <laughs> before you knew anything about <laughs> before you knew anything about baseball you just came home and you were dad mm-hmm. and they didn't care how many you gave up um but just, you know, that experience mentally um, realizing this game is 
does not define me. Uh, my success doesn't mean me. Uh, who I am as a as a husband and a father and a person is is far more important. Um, and Sean, you can you can talk to this, but you know that was one of the reasons why Quinn and and Craig and Lance and Jared Moore were so impactful. You know, for me and I think everyone was that baseball was really secondary. Like those guys taught me more about being a good person, being a good teammate. And then like the baseball stuff just kind of like took care of itself. Um, and when I look back throughout my career, like those are the best coaches that I had. Yep. Coaches that taught me about life, coaches that taught me about what it meant to be, you know, a good person, um, what it meant to sacrifice for your team. And all those, all those like cliche things we say, like, but we need people to come alongside of us and teach those things to us. Mm-hmm. Yep. And that's, and that's, that's, that's a very, phenomenal answer. Very important because, yeah, it's like it was, it was, the best part was what you said, teach those things. Yeah. I think a lot of people will say those things, but they don't actually teach or show emotion mm-hmm. or get attached because it, sometimes it's all about yep. winning ball games and forget the yeah. bigger part of the I mean, picture. So that's crazy. Yeah, some of the, I mean, some of the best memories I had with the Bulls were like, Finishing a game and then going in. I'll, I'll never forget. I, I had to run laps around a hotel one, one night. Jared made me run laps. Yeah, I was on my phone too late. Um, but then afterwards, going in and we had like an hour conversation just about like about schools and about life and about going into college. And it's like I remember sitting, you know, on their in their rooms and just having those talks. Yep. Um, and those are guys that you know invested in me and. You know, I, I can honestly say that I wouldn't be who I am today without people like that in my life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, and you know, we're all guilty of taking the game too seriously a lot of times. Um, and we're all, we're all guilty of that. And, you know, you have those things in your life. And as a father, you know, I cannot imagine feeling helpless in a situation like that. Um, and, and, and this feeling that you want to, you know, take care of it and do it yourself. Um, but it definitely, you know, it shows us how important, you know, life is and the relationships. And like, I know Quinn was, was, was really, you and Quinn were really tight and I was really tight with Jared as well. Like those type of people that, you know, in something I always try to stress to my guys at LT and like, you know, our relationship, teaching you how to be a man, teaching you what's important in life, you know, you know, taking care of each other, lifting people up around you and making sure that you're investing in those relationships. I was talking to Adam about this and I, I said, you know, my biggest regret when I got done playing, looking back on it is not investing even more into those relationships and, mm-hmm. and, and, and not only helping other people and, you know, maybe the younger classmen, but you know, you get so caught up in trying to be the best that you could be, but you don't understand this being the best you could be first as a man and, and, yeah. and, and being a good friend, being a good father, being a good husband. And that's, that's stuff. And, you know, I, and I hope parents that are listening to this, like, you know, it's okay when kids fail, the failure is going to make them better in the long run. Um, but, you know, being a good father uh, and helping your son do that, you know, and, and, and as a son, you know, respecting, you know, people around you, you know, because that's what you want back. Like, that stuff's so important. And I, I just, I love hearing that from you. Yeah. And that, I mean, that's really, that's so important. Uh, I mean, that's, it's, it's, been, it's been cool to see like this trajectory of, trajectory of my career. But like now I'm, I'm in that situation where like I'm, you know, not, I'm not old by any means, but like, I've gone through things that I can help people with, you know, yep. when, so when I look back and I see these, you know, 22 year old phenoms, it's like, man, I know what the next 10 years has in store for you. Cause you know, <laughs> very few guys get to be Mike Trout, um, 
and just from day one just dominate. And just I mean, it just doesn't happen. Um, but you know, I think both of you guys hit the nail on the head, especially for like you're saying parents and young kids listening, is that having this game it's a game. Uh-huh. It's supposed to be fun. I'm not sure I understand. Yeah, you wouldn't, Siri. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um but this this it's a game and we forget that it's a game. Yep. Um, and I know that I do it at times too, but having fun, uh, obviously winning is a lot more fun than losing, but there's this process of growth and like failure is a part of this process. Um, mm-hmm. so all those things you're saying, Sean, like, I mean, those, those are the things that matter because we, the reason we're sitting here is because we think this game is the best game that there is. And yep. this game can teach you a lot about yourself. It can teach you a lot about life if you allow it to, and you allow yourself to learn from it. Mm-hmm. Yep. A perfect example. Like me and you have probably had a handful of conversations in the last 10 years. And here we are mm-hmm. having a conversation, you know, you're more than happy to come on and talk to us and, and, and have that relationship. You know, we get on here, we laugh, we talk to each other. Like we hadn't missed a beat, you know, that's, that's, that's the stuff that's important. You know, that's the stuff that makes it, makes it worth playing. And those are the relationships when guys are playing, like that's the stuff that guys look back on and they miss the most about the game. Yeah. yeah. And that's what, you know, I think about right now, I think about the high school kids that lost out, you know, the seniors that lost out on their, on their last year, um, kids that aren't going to play right now. Um, those are memories that they can't get back. And that, yeah. I mean, that, that really hurts. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, because we all at some point, I mean, I remember my last high school game. Um, I remember, you know, crying down the right field line with my buddies um, because we lost. Yep. And it's like, those are those kids can't be- get back. So, like, you feel for those guys and those, those relationships. And, like, I still, whenever I see, like, my high school friends, like, I still, we, that, those are the things we talk about. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so those, you know, those relationships and those friendships uh, are, are so important. Yeah. I definitely remember my last game too. We had the six, five, right. It beat us one to nothing in sexuals. Talk to him right now. <laughs> <laughs> I remember that game. Yeah. That's Siri. Yeah. How- <laughs> yeah. Siri, you remember that one? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh man. He was, Adam, he was pumping 99. He would top 99 in that game. Oh, in high school, just th- throwing Chad back then. And there was, I mean, everybody and their brother was there oh, watching yeah, back, it. It was four-seam hammer. I was a, but then, you got, I mean, you got like six, eight inches off the plate. So <laughs> yeah. it wasn't even, just, you get these umpires in high school, and all they want to do is ring guys up. You just, oh. First thing, you just start leading them out, leading them out, leading them out. By the time you, you're getting the other batter's box, by the time the six yeah, inning yeah, rolls. Yeah, yeah. When you're going that hard, the umpire's going to call it a strike no matter what because he can't see yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was sitting three two on him, and we had a runner on. I remember this vividly: a runner on first and second, three two. He threw a fastball. I fouled it off. I'm like, this dude's not gonna throw me a fastball again. I'm gonna sit slider right here, and he throws a fastball outside. I take it strike three. <laughs> oh man, good times, man, good times. But basically, you know, uh, one more question I kind of want to jump into is, you know, yeah. you've kind of touched on this a little bit. What's the biggest advice that you have, you know, and we touched on it a little bit here and there, you know, biggest advice you have for guys from a physicality side, from a, from a training side, and then also obviously the mental side, the, the high school guys that want to get to that next level playing. Yeah. Um, my, my biggest thing when I talk with kids is know, um, know what you're good at and then just work at those things. 
Mm-hmm. Um, define who you are as a player. Uh, what I tell guys, so there's three, this is what I tell everybody. There's three things, pick three things. One has to be a constant, like every time out. And then there's two things that you can do a lot, like the majority of the time. So for me, my constant is that I can compete. No matter what I have that day, um, no matter what I'm bringing out of the bullpen, I can go throw each pitch with conviction and, and give my team a chance to win. So there's, there's the constant. Number two is that I can command my fastball. Number three is that I can throw five pitches for strikes, like I said earlier. So yep. what you have is that when you start playing from these three things and you recognize those things, I'm going to be able to do one of them. The day that I can't command my fastball, well, I can still throw five pitches for a strike and see which ones I can throw for a strike. So I can do two out of three. On the days that I can't throw five pitches, maybe I've got two, I can still command my fastball. Those are going to be okay days. But the days that I can do all three of those, those days are special. Um, so that's I tell all you know pitchers that I work with or guys that I talk with, just go through that exercise. There's one constant and then two things that you can do um, very well and just work on those and getting those as good as you can. Um, and then from a, from a training standpoint, I think just having, you know, I didn't know what I was doing when I was younger, when I was in high school, like, uh, you know, take the t- time to, to read, to educate yourself. Um, there's so much information out there. Um, just make sure that it's good information, obviously. Find yep. somebody that you trust. I, mean, I remember when I was in high school, weird looking back, but I carried around like 30 pound dumbbells in my bag. <laughs> and let me plug in my computer real quick. Uh, I carried around like 30 pound dumbbells in my bag. And like, I would do like lunges and like bicep curls. And like, before I got started, and like looking back, I'm like, what in the world is I doing? <laughs> um, but, you know, find somebody that you trust. Uh, find somebody that you know has your best interest in mind. So I think that's another thing is that there's so many coaches out there that, all they want to do is fill their bank accounts. Um, don't just sign up with the guy because he's the first uh, the first result on Google. Yeah, uh, know that guys um, want to pour into you. They're going to take time. You know, like you're saying, Sean, to not just write pro. Anybody can write programming. Anybody yep. can do that. Um, so yeah, from from a strength, you know, from a training aspect, I think that's important. Just find somebody you trust. Find somebody that. Um, you know, as your best interest of mine. And that's and so awesome. I think, yeah. I think my favorite part about that was the number one thing you said was compete. I think a lot of pitchers when they don't have their best stuff, they're afraid or, Hey, I don't have it today. And they'll start to get in their head. And the yeah. best ones that I think we all ever played with were the bulldog mentality where you knew every time they stepped on the mound, you were going to get their best effort, whether they had it or not, or whether it was, I have 60% today. Well, you're still going to get a full hundred percent 60 out of it. So I love how you mentioned the, the competitive. I, I mean, I'll be honest with you. Like I used to, I, there, there are games probably within, you know, three years ago, like very recently where I would come out of the bullpen, I'd be like, it'd be a long day today. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But now like, and then I think the other thing too with competing is like guys don't understand what it means to compete. Mm-hmm. Like competing is not like coming out and, you know, going, you know, trying to go 200,000 miles an hour and being out of control and like, you know, that, that's not what competing is. Like that's, you don't have a control on yourself. Um, 
mentally or physically. It's like, all right, I'm going like each pitch that I throw today until they take this ball from my hand. Like I'm going to focus. I'm going to lock in mentally and you know, I'm, I'm going to make these pitches to the best of my ability yep. and I will find a way to beat you. Yeah. Um, because majority, I mean, like we said earlier, majority of the time, like you don't feel good. So if you go with that mentality, like you're going to lose a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, just a, what, you know, asking guys, what is competing? How do you compete? I think is um, an important thing to do is defining what it means to compete. That's awesome. Good stuff right there, man. Well, Josh, man, we really appreciate you coming on and, and kind of breaking this down. Like, there, I mean, so much of this in the mental side of the game, um, and you can account for the majority of it being the mental side of the game. Obviously, we, we touched on technology and stuff, but like, you know, knowing the body and stuff, like this is such good stuff that most guys don't talk about. And I think it's so mm-hmm. important for guys to be hearing, man. So I really appreciate you coming on and talking to us and, and, and sharing your uh, sharing your knowledge on the game, buddy. Yeah, I, I had a good time talking about it. There aren't enough, there aren't enough people talking about this stuff. Um, mm-hmm. and it's, I mean, to me, it's the most important part of the game if you want to grow and advance your career. Yeah. That's awesome, Josh. Thanks for coming on with us today, man. We really enjoyed it. No problem. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Awesome, brother. We appreciate it. Until next time, guys. We'll see you later.